invite you, if you would, to take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. If you're using your pew Bible, it's on page 54, if you want to know where we are. We're in the second week of our sermon series on the Ten Commandments. Last week we looked at verses 1 and 2, which is kind of the preamble or the introduction to the Ten Commandments and thought about what it means that the Lord's redeemed us from slavery to sin, not just to go pursue our own passions or desires in life, but He's freed us so that we might serve Him. And so I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 just to give you the context and remind you of that as we look at verse 3 together. So listen to what we read in Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Most of us in most areas of our lives appreciate redundancy. We like things to be designed such that if something goes south, there's a backup plan, that there's something that's going to be in place to make sure that everything doesn't fall apart. And if you think about this, it's really present, or this impulse is present in most every area of our lives. Um, so, for example, I just moved to a new home. It's surrounded by trees. Trees are beautiful, but eventually they do what? Fall, or parts of them do, oftentimes over uh, power lines, and the power goes out. Some of you are probably fortunate enough to have a generator that almost unnoticed if the power goes out, the generator kicks in, and you're back into business. Maybe one day the Lord will be so gracious as to provide one of those for me. We'll see. Or um, how many of you enjoy flying? Or like you used to enjoy flying before it got so hard. Like flying is pretty fun, but I like to fly on planes that have more than one engine. It's just something that I feel better when we go up, that if something were to happen to one of the engines, that there's a backup, that we're not just going to nosedive to the ground, but there's some redundancy in the system. You may or may not know it, but here at the church, we have things called chillers and coolers. Uh, chillers and boilers, sorry. Chillers and coolers would be very redundant. Chillers and boilers. So they're in place to make sure that our heat and our air cuts on, and there's some backup systems. There are plans in place that if one of those goes down, we can continue to operate. Many of you enjoy tackle football as much as I do. Next Saturday, there's kind of like some pretend games. And then the following Saturday, we really start. But likely, every team that goes out there, they have a quarterback, and then they have what on the sideline? The backup quarterback, which is what I would love to be one day in the NFL. I would love to just kind of hold the binder and like chart the plays. I don't really want to get hit by anybody, right? But if the quarterback goes down then there's a backup that's going to run in, maybe not as well, but, you know, keep the team going in the absence of the quarterback, number one. Our investments, probably not good to put all your money in one place, correct? Don't take all your dollars, put them in a jar, put them in the same hole in the back, because you might, who knows, forget where you buried it, or someone else might take it. But likely you have stocks and you have them in different places and different investments in case 
one of those things goes south, you don't lose all of your money. And usually in life, I think redundancy, safeguards, backups are good things. That we don't just go through life hoping for the best, hoping that we don't run into some kind of tragedy. But we have things in place to minimize the issues if something goes wrong. But one of the areas in our lives that it's not good to have redundancy built in is when it comes to our faith. That you and I, sometimes we're prone to kind of hedge our bets when it comes to our relationship with God. And we think, well, it's going to be awesome if God comes through. But in the event he doesn't, I got some things in place to kind of make sure that my life is okay if the Lord doesn't come through for me. And at the beginning of the Ten Commandments, right here at the outset, the Lord tells his people in really clear terms that that's not how they're supposed to approach life. That at every point along the way in their relationship with him, he is plan A and he is plan B. There is no other plan outside of you and me putting our trust fully in God and God alone. Now, as you read the book of Exodus, you know that the people need to be reminded of this because their inclination at every moment when either everything is wonderful or when everything goes terribly, there's going to be this tendency not to have their hearts and minds focused on God and God alone. It's kind of like the idea of the generator. Nobody thinks about the fact they have a generator until when? It goes bad. And sometimes in God's people, in the life that you read through the scriptures, they don't think about the fact that they need God until everything goes south. And there is this tendency for you and for me at times to be the same way. That like when everything's good and everything's like it should be, you and I are prone to not recognize and understand our need for God at every moment of every day. We pray the Lord's Prayer often around here. And part of that prayer says what? Give me this day my what kind of bread? Daily bread. If you're honest, do you have a hard time really praying that prayer and meaning it? even as we were singing that song that we were uh, just a moment ago. If you came to my house and looked in my refrigerator right now, I would be somewhat embarrassed by the amount of food that's in there. It's like crammed into every, you know, and we go by regularly and make sure it's closed because there's so much food in there. And to get to that point where I can feel pretty self-sufficient and not recognize my need for the Lord at every moment of every day. You read the book of Deuteronomy, and the Lord's preparing them to go into the promised land flowing with milk and honey. And the Lord says, you know, like, you've been out here in the wilderness, and I've provided for you every day. You've had manna, you've had what you need. The soles of your feet, the shoes on your feet have not worn out. I've been there with you at every step along the way, but you're about to go into the promised land a land flowing with milk and honey, you're about to go from a tent to a house. You're about to go from this arid wilderness to a garden. 
And there's going to be this tendency in your heart to go in there and think, wow, I'm, I'm pretty great. Look at all that I have and all that I've accumulated in my power and in my might. And the Lord says that as they enter into the promised land, there has to be this continued acknowledgement of dependence upon the Lord. Because likely for you and for me, there's such resonance with that aspect of having other gods outside of the Lord alone. Because I'm assuming that if I came to your house today, I'm probably not going to find a Hindu god up on your altar or in your mantle. Or I'm not going to like walk around back and see Asherah poles back there. I'm not going to hear goats <laughs> being slaughtered in the back. And that kind of turning toward other gods is sometimes what you and I think. But Jesus also said what? You cannot serve God and money. And it is that more sneaky, more subtle God that creeps into our hearts and our lives when we think that we pretty much have everything covered. And we can get to that point where we really don't see our need for the Lord or acknowledge our dependence upon Him each and every day. So this morning, I think, Exodus 20, verse 3, is a reminder to us that every moment when we, every morning when we get out of bed and our feet hit the floor, there ought to be this really sincere acknowledgement that apart from God today, we can do nothing. And that we need Him every moment of every day. Lest our hearts stray from Him and we think, we got this in our own power, in our own strength. The other times when we and I are sometimes tempted to look to other gods is when everything goes south in our lives. When everything really, really is difficult in that moment and the song, Every Day with Jesus is Sweeter Than the Next, doesn't seem true. If you're being real honest that those moments of hardship come up, and we can be prone to say, all right, I'm going to exhaust every measure, and then I'll do what? Pray. <laughs> I'm going to try everything. And then when I get to the end of my rope, then maybe I'll, as a last resort, pray for God to somehow be at work in my life. And the Israelites, over and over again, in fact, one commentator says that the story of the Bible really is the story of God's people's struggle or failure to live into this commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Because when things got difficult, and they were a pretty small group of people, and these big nations started coming in against them, the Assyrians or the Babylonians, and they're kind of sitting there and they think, well, maybe our best bet to survive is to make an alliance with Egypt. Or maybe our best bet is to kind of get along with these people. And over and over again, the Lord tells them that he alone is the one who can deliver them, the one who will sustain them. And as you read scripture, time and again, they have to learn this painful lesson. As they go after other gods, as they go after other sources to deliver themselves and find them wanting. And ultimately, they turn back to the Lord. How many of you enjoy the book of Daniel? Anybody? Now, I'm obviously not talking about the apocalyptic version, that portion of Daniel. 
Those of you who have not read all of Daniel just know that it gets really interesting. You and I really like Daniel, kind of the opening, more vacation Bible school chapters of Daniel. Stuff that's kind of easier to read and figure out. But the reason that I think you and I enjoy or are drawn to Daniel so often is that Daniel seems to do what you and I struggle to do over and over again. That when Daniel and his friends are brought into exile and they're this small minority and their faith is tested time and again and they never seem to bow the knee to just kind of get along, to, to go along, to get along, right? Even that portion where he prays, if I'm honest as I'm reading that, I'm like, Daniel, just close the window, man. Right? You can pray with the window closed. It's fine. You're still praying, and then you can kind of get along out in the world. But Daniel doesn't. He and his friends remain faithful to the Lord time and time again. And Daniel goes out of his way to make sure that everyone knows that any success that he's experiencing or anything good that's happening in his life is not a result of his own wisdom, his own strength, his own power. But it's the, it's the living God who is at work in and through him so that his glory might be seen. And if I'm honest with you, I read Daniel and I walk away somewhat defeated. Because I think, I don't know, man, we're walking up the steps. They're heating up the furnace. I don't know, I might be, I might be wanting to go the other way down and be like, yeah, you're probably right, it's okay. Or the lion's den, they're down there swirling. You and I probably have a hard time really appreciating it, but it, I mean, if you were there and there were really lions down there, there'd probably be some rationalization going on in your head and heart, like I could probably, it's probably fine. And you and I see that and we're like, man, I would like to be more of that person who in the face of danger and fire and lions, I, I remain faithful. Because I believe that you and all, you all have it much harder than me. Tomorrow, what am I going to do? Come to church, to work. And guess what? Nobody's going to make my life hard for being a follower of Jesus here. It's kind of easy, right? I don't get any corporate emails about whatever. I don't have to go to any meetings and kind of like figure out how to squeeze in my faith to life and not give up everything that I've worked so hard for. So I can imagine that as you're out in the real world trying to be a follower of Jesus, trying to be faithful to this one God to the exclusion of everything else in your life, that it's hard. And that at times you falter. You don't always get it right. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ came into the world and took on flesh and at every point where he was tempted to turn the other way, he remained faithful. Remember that portion where he's in the wilderness being tempted? He's hungry and all these things are coming at him. And he turns aside all the offers of Satan and trusts instead in God's provision for him. And he's faithful rather than bowing the knee. Or when he gets to the Garden of Gethsemane, 
Remember that portion where he's praying and he's wrestling because his will really in that moment seems to be counter to the Father's will for his life? And in that moment he says what? Not my will, but your will be done. That Jesus ultimately is the fulfillment of all that you and I find so great about Daniel. That Daniel was a human being just like you and me. That he was not perfect as much as you and I would like to think, perhaps when we read that story, that he was. But Jesus is. And we come to church every week to remind ourselves not of how great we are and not that we're going to storm out of this church and be as faithful to Jesus as anybody's ever been, though I think it's wise and helpful for us to seek to be faithful to the Lord. But we come in here to remind ourselves of the story of salvation in Scripture, to acknowledge that God is the only one in whom you and I have any reason to place our hope. That he is the God who loves us so much that he sent his son into the world so that when you and I fall short of his glory, we can be clothed with the perfect righteousness of Christ. So when you leave this service, the goal ought to be that you glory more in Jesus and you recognize your need for him and you rejoice in the righteousness that's yours through him, and that as you understand God's love for you, and as you understand kind of the offers of all these false gods, and it might be money, or it might be your outward appearance, or it might be in your title at work, or what you can accomplish, or what you have, that ultimately the most loving thing God can do is to show us that all those things are empty. And when they've left us, as they will, and when we pass from this life and we're really there with nothing except the Lord, that our hope will be in the fact that Jesus on our behalf was faithful at every point and we get his reward and not just our reward. We get to close worship today by celebrating the Lord's Supper, which is... Um, a really important and meaningful time for us. That we come to the table um, not because we're worthy to celebrate the Lord's Supper, not because we've been good enough, or even as we spend some time reflecting in our own hearts about who we are, we come and we celebrate the Lord's Supper because we know that, that Jesus has made a way for us to eat with him. So if you wait to come to the table when you feel like you're worthy enough, here's the thing. You're never going to feel worthy enough. And that celebrating the Lord's Supper ought to be a time for us to rejoice and proclaim the good news of all that God's done for us in Jesus. If you're here and you are a believer, you're invited to celebrate and participate with us. It's not just for members of Mount Brook Baptist Church, but if you're a guest with us this morning and you are a follower of Christ, then we hope that you will celebrate with us as well.